Welcome, Guardians fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Standing Guard, a show dedicated to the Orlando Guardians. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here is your host, Michael Latham. Hello, Guardian fans. This is episode two. Rough start. Time to get back on the bull. Week one is in the books. Unfortunately, T. Buck and company lived up to those sportsbook odds and didn't do that well, losing to the Houston Roughnecks 33-12. Later in the show, I will be joined by fellow Guardians fan Jared Hansen to discuss this past week's game, as well as look ahead to the Week 2 matchup at Camping World Stadium against the San Antonio Brahmas. Also, the host of Texans Talking Football, Jason Leroy, joins the show to discuss the Guardians' Week 2 matchup with the San Antonio Brahmas. But first, it is important to remind everyone who has not already secured tickets for the home opener versus the San Antonio Brahmas to do so. Let's do our part and show up and support the Guardians on Sunday, February 26th at 4 p.m. Tickets are available at xfl.com backslash tickets. As a new XFL team, we should do our best to show our fandom and pride for the Orlando Guardians. Be sure to wear your Guardians gear. If you don't have any, try your best to wear green apparel or perhaps even vintage Orlando Rage gear. In my opinion, anything we do to show support for Orlando's team would be a positive. If you are an out-of-market fan of the Guardians, be sure to tune in on Sunday, February 26th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to ESPN or ESPN+. Viewership ratings are extremely important for the league and its longevity. This week, we are fortunate to have fellow Guardians fan Jared Hansen to discuss this past week's loss to the Houston Roughnecks, and we look ahead to Week 2's matchup against the San Antonio Brahmas. Thank you, Jared. I appreciate you joining us to talk about the Orlando Guardians and yes. this past weekend's matchup with the Houston Roughnecks, and hopefully this upcoming weekend's matchup with the San Antonio Brahmas. Thanks for the op- opportunity to be on the show. Well, why don't we get things started off here a little bit so you can let the listeners know a little bit about yourself. So provide a little bit of your background. That way they yes. have a good idea of who you are and why you're here today. Yeah, I've been a passionate XFL fan since Vince McMahon's announcement in 2018. I have been just following it. Um, I've been hungry for XFL the, the entire time. Any sort of news, I like to gobble it up. Um, I ended up having a XFL watch party in my hometown of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We didn't have any team anywhere close to our location, but we, I still wanted to create um, a place for us to watch the games together in my local town. And um, I, I've been just following it the whole way. And now I'm living in Fort Myers, Florida. I'm about 160 miles from Orlando. And so I'm planning on going to some Orlando Guardian games for the first time ever. I was going to do it in 2020, but you know, you know what happened and uh, it just didn't happen. So, but I've been passionate about the XFL more than any other sports league that I've watched in my life, basically. You're not the only one. I know a lot <laughs> right. of people think that there's a lot of these alternative football crazies or whatever, but there are some diehard XFL fans, which is a good thing for the league and its viability yeah. moving forward. Totally. But just for some transparency, this is not the first time we've ever interacted. I know that no. we've interacted a little bit, you know, um, with some other shows, the fan shows that had some uh, comment sections and whatnot, but then that it's kind of sprung off to where we've kind of connected 
off and we've kind of been communicating a little bit. So for just for transparency, that's how more of this came about is that you and I have had some dialogue, some discussion about the XFL and even the guardians a little bit about potentially making some road trips and whatnot. So we'll move right into this past weekend though. Yes. It was brutal. Yeah, it was exactly what I was hoping not to happen. Um, when I heard Paxton Lynch was coming, I had an uneasy feeling because I'm a Denver Broncos fan and I've followed him since he's been drafted and it's, it's been a letdown every, every time I've seen him play uh, for a new team. You know, I, I watched him, was it last year with the Michigan Panthers with the USFL? And I just was not, I didn't enjoy that as well. So, um, I, We'll, we'll see what happens, you know, next week with a, you know, maybe DeAndre Francois will have a start, but yeah, him coming to the, the guardians unexpectedly was gave me some red flags and I was uh, nervous about it. His arrival. I said this on my big show, player 54 podcast, for those that wonder what I refer to as the big show or the big brother and this show. Sandy guard is the little brother on the big show. I said that first touchdown was not a touchdown. Okay. Yeah. I, I agree with what Dean Blandino did as far as the imaging in front of him, right? All the clips, he did not have enough to overturn the call on the field. Some people yeah. are bashing Dean a little bit. I've seen in the social media channels and whatnot. They're bashing that he didn't get it right. Well, the reality is it's not for him to go off what he thought he saw in real time. It's what he has to see. Is there definitive enough video to use the rule to change it? And he did not. So he got that right. However, the initial call in the field, in my opinion, from whatever, what I watched in real time, I don't believe it was correct. Yeah. But for Paxton, he got six for that. And so did it Cody Latimer. Yeah. And I've like, yeah. And I, the Cody Latimer, I have a history with him. He played for the Denver Broncos and won a Super Bowl in 2015. So these two guys I've had a good history with, I like Cody Latimer a lot. So it was a pleasant surprise to see him playing XFL football. So, but that I thought Paxson was running the ball on that play. And then he just suddenly threw it. And then when he did it, I thought it was going to be intercepted. I was like, Oh, that's interception. And then I was, I was, it was a lot closer than I thought. And it simultaneously, they both had both hands on it. And I was really happy when I seen that referee have the touchdown signal. Uh, so that was the, I think that was the changing point. So is my opinion on that. I think the guardians in the guardians fans are also happy that it was determined a touchdown because as the game went on, it didn't really get any better. You know, it was only half of what they were able to accumulate throughout the game. However, before we get down into the game too much, I think it's important to kind of talk about something that I'm pretty surprised by. I know that modern day football, everyone's airing it out. I understand it. I do. I know it's makes the game more exciting. It's the big play capability. But when you're running the ball as well as the Guardians are running the ball, Early in the game. Yes. Uh, Martin. Martin was amazing. Yards, 4.6 yards per carry. Yeah, exactly. At 28 yards, but that was 5.6 yards per carry. 
and Thomas's lone carry was nine yards. Even when you factor in Paxton Lynch's lone rush at zero yards, it came out to be an average of 4.9 yards per carry as a team. When you're running the ball that well, how do you not continue to run the ball to some extent? I'm not saying it needs to be your primary source of the offense, but it should be a point to help open up enough to pass the ball. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I was really stunned when they stopped running the ball with uh, Jermaine Martin. Uh, and yeah, I was just like, I w- the play calling was definitely one thing I have to definitely question during this game because they just stopped doing it and that was their bread and butter and they were doing great on those gains uh, for yardage. So I had, I was, I was scratching my head at that uh, and question their playmaking, uh, their play calling ability um, with the coaching. So. Well, what I find interesting is forget about what I just said about that was not a touchdown. It was an interception, right? But if you watch that, Opening drive for the Guardians, their first offensive drive or possession, you know, offensive possession. They were moving the ball. Like, yeah, they were going down the field. <laughs> exactly. They forget about that last play. They got a six points out. It doesn't matter. You know, in the end, that's what went on the scoreboard. Okay. But why wouldn't you continue to replicate that drive throughout the game? Yeah, it was a great, uh, it would be a great strategy for them to do that. I was surprised they just stopped doing what was making them get down the field. So I, I don't know what happened. I'm, I'm, I was perplexed. I know you don't have the answers. I don't have the answers either, but I'm just, you know, we're just kind of throwing it off. We're kind of, so it's kind of good. It's not always to have everyone on the same page, but it's good to get multiple people's takes from it. Like, I, I don't understand. You're, you don't understand. I'm sure there's somebody else out there that doesn't understand it either. And they're probably like, okay, I'm not the only one that's crazy here. Cause it's not crazy to think that the guardians are actually off to a good start. It looked like the game was actually going to be much better than what these sports book, you know, these sports books were picking these odds and putting the guardians as the, you know, the least likely team to win the championship. Well, I, I was looking forward to the rest of the game, but the game did shift, right? And it's not to be negative, whatever. And eventually, you know, we could talk about how Paxton just, you know, his average completion was 6.3 yards. Ouch. You know, yeah, he was over 50%, but the reality is it's just, it wasn't good. And he had one touchdown, one interception. And eventually they bring in Dormandy, which is probably not the worst decision. Because if you're kind of in limbo and things are not clicking, all you had to do is go back to the run game a little bit. But they didn't. Okay. But bringing in Dormandy, I think, was worth a shot. Now, if you look at his statistics, 12 of 18, that's actually pretty good. 142 yards passing, averaging 7.9 yards per completion. One touchdown, two picks. But I love that touchdown with Jamil, man. I love Yep. I, I know Jamil from the the Glacier Boys and FCF, and he's a playmaker. And someone mentioned this, and I agree, is that F, FCF helps with red zone. Um, be, even though the field is small, um, it helps with red zone. And you got some stars that came from that league, you know, Cavante Turpin being one of them. But Jamil, he had some ma- some very good plays uh, as wide receiver, and I can't wait for to see him do more amazing plays throughout the season. So um, those plays that he had the, in week one were really, really good. So you got a playmaker with him for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, he had 80 yards on three receptions. Oof, yeah, that's great. Pretty good. How many targets did he end up having? They targeted him four times. <laughs> so, you know, he caught the ball three of the four opportunities he had. I mean, he led the team, obviously, in receiving yards. His average was crazy because of that play alone. Was That was a big play. That was not a red zone play. I know what you were meaning, but that particular play itself, they were outside of the red, red zone. He averaged 26.7 yards per reception. That's yeah. Pretty huge. Now, it was, it's a lone touchdown because him and Latimer obviously had the only touchdowns. That was the only offensive production. Heck, the defense didn't even get any pick sixes, even though there was a lot of pick sixes going on in opening weekend in the XFL. Unfortunately, the side of the ball that I thought was going to be the strongest defensively really didn't deliver. So now let's kind of take a look over the other side of the ball. I mean, I wasn't expecting the Roughnecks to do as well as they did, even though on my other show, Mark Halbach, he's a former collegiate coach. He was talking about how he thought Silvers was finally being put in the right offensive system that Silvers could be one of these likely MVP candidates. Mm -hmm. Well, now watching this game, well, you know, Mark is probably right. I mean, I'm not saying 100%. It's one game. It's too early. You know, defenses and offenses are kind of on different sides of the ball, but that's where the strength should have been for the Guardians, and it really wasn't in game one. Um, Silvers, I thought he he was average in 2020 with the Dragons, and he shut me up this game big time. I mean, there was we can talk about the two interceptions that he had, if I'm not mistaken. Those were kind of not those weren't good, but yeah, overall, I hey, I was I'm I'm impressed with what Silvers did for Week One at quarterback. Well, again, any time with a very short camp, which all XFL teams had, what, five weeks, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. They weren't even really kind of getting in the pads or anything like that. But it, the defense doesn't really need to build the chemistry that we need to see on offense. Yeah. You know, and we're not just talking about quarterback to receiver. We're talking about even with just the protection, the offensive line. There's a lot of that kind of needs to be worked out. It's a little bit easier if you're a defender to look for the hole in front of you to run through or watch somebody run a terrible route and a quarterback throwing it back, you know what I'm saying, versus having to get it right because if the quarterback is expecting a certain type of, you know, protection because he might roll out a certain way, and if it's not there, the offensive line needs to kind of be rolling with them. Yeah, that's true. Or the running back needs to step up and protect. It all depends. There's so much that kind of goes there. But if a receiver doesn't run the right route, well, quarterback's going to be off, and we're not going to know that, right? So mm. to throw a pick or two, I'm not going to say it's the end of the world. No. You know? So especially in week one, as the yeah. season goes on, then we'll start to see if that's kind of a consistent thing. So I don't want to bag on Silvers even for throwing two picks. I don't want to bag on anybody yeah. for throwing a pick, but mm-hmm. you know, it kind of comes down to we were supposed to be the bottom two teams according to all the sports books. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell, I'm going to be very honest, I can't tell if the Roughnecks were that good or if the Guardians were that bad. Yeah, and I've heard it's been both, and I would agree. I think I think they're, we're look, uh, Guardians are looking like last place the way it sounds like to me or what it looked like on you know from last week. And um, the, I think the Roughnecks looked overall really, really 
you know, amazing and they, they deserve a number one ranking and the power rankings is what I think personally, overall, they were just amazing. Like, and, and with the wide receiving core that they had and um, gosh, yeah, we had, we had problems with our center uh, for the guardians. He lots of, I seen a lot of low snaps to the, to Paxton high snaps. And then one that got away where Paxton had to fall on the ball for, you know, the, you know, to save it. Right. Yeah. But he saved it. He didn't, the ball didn't get turned over. So that I, uh, yeah, the center needs to have some, uh, needs to work on his, uh, snaps. It seems like, so that's why I felt. Yeah. Again, they say the offense is typically behind and it clearly looked that way. But the one thing that was working again, not to be a dead horse, it seemed like the running game would have been phenomenal throughout the game. I was getting, so excited. I'm like, wow, I wasn't expecting a, a good running game from this team. But yeah. Also, they had 100 yards rushing, I think. <laughs> just got turned off like a light switch. Yeah. Like, we're just, I understand what you start falling behind, but there's no need to fall behind because you, or shall I say, the Guardians were technically the first to strike. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that wholeheartedly. So, even by giving up the touchdown to, you know, make it tied or whatever, even if you fell one behind, you're not really behind the way that the whole way that the XFL set up with the tiered extra points is one, two, three points. The way they even have got various options as far as the onside or the fourth and 15, we even saw how that turned out with the battle Hawks and Brahmas. Yeah. So, I mean, like, where was this fear to ditch the game plan, ditch what was working? I don't understand where they got. Now, we got to be fair. Coach Buck is a rookie head coach. Yeah. And he w- did make some comments when he was being questioned about why he did what he did in some cases, and he referred to because of the analytics. It's a default answer. That really doesn't make sense when you really want to dive into it a little bit. This is a brand new startup, brand new team. Coaches are all together, brand new players. You haven't even had a preseason game together. What numbers, what analytics are you referring to? Yeah, because there's no data (laughs) ever, you know, that hasn't, that's not in, that's available. You know, you're getting it from, you're getting it from week one, yeah, and there was no other previous games, so NFL data, yeah, like that's got nothing to do with your personnel, nothing to do with your your playbook, nothing. What what analytics is he referring to? And I I'm not saying you have the answer, but I think this is a legitimate question. The fan base should be looking at like, oh, Coach Buck, I love him. I'm a Miami Dolphin fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doesn't matter. I'm from Western New York. Before I moved to Florida, I was a Dolphin fan as a child, and I'm still a Dolphin fan now that I'm 43. And he played for the Dolphins two different stints. I remember was a fan of him. I had an opportunity to interview him up at the showcase in Bradington. Great dude. Great dude. I would love to talk to him. I'm not trying to bag on him, but we have to be fair here. Everything doesn't have to be through a certain color to sunglasses or shades, right? Rose color. Everything. Sometimes we can kind of peel back and be like, it was an ugly game. If you're a fan of any team, 
No one was going to be happy with that outcome. You can be happy the league's back. You can be happy that you have a team to support. You can't be happy with the outcome because if this wasn't a startup, if this was a league that's been around like the National Football League, no one would be happy with this if this was their team. So here we are. We're fans. Let's be real fans. Let's be real about it. Let's not be fake. What analytics, coach? What are you talking about? Why did we give up our our game plan when we had a good mixture going with a run in the pass? If I was sitting in the press conference, if I had the microphone, that's what I'd be asking him. Oh, yeah, totally. I, I totally agree with what you're saying here. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a work in progress. That's for sure. Hopefully they've made some necessary improvements for you know the next week. So, I mean, they gave up, I mean, if we want to go into this, they, they gave up like what, seven sacks to Houston. A record, I understand it, the XFL is a young league. Four sacks. For one, one player. player. <laughs> it's a record. The leader in the XFL in 2020, I understand there was only five weeks, only had 4.5. Who used to be a guardian? Oh, jeez. So, I mean, if we just go off namesake, and I know it's a new team, new city, technically, we just kind of rebranded, but the league leader after five weeks had 4.5 sacks. Somehow we just gave up four to one guy. It's uncalled for. (laughs) Which is why I go back to, and we don't have the answer, is Houston that good or we that bad? But yeah, like some people say, could be a combination of the two. But yeah. we'll have to find out. You've opened the door. We got a game two here in a couple of days on Sunday. You and I are going to be in attendance. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say one thing. We had a lot of missed tackles uh to Max Borhe. Uh there was one play where they there was three missed tackles in a row. Couldn't stop, <laughs> couldn't stop him. He was like Barry Sanders on the field. <laughs> or Walter Payton. <laughs> Oh man. Anyway. Yeah, no, it's, it's rough to think about some of it. And I'm not trying to be dramatic as if anyone knows me, I'm not over the top dramatic about anything, but let's take a look at the competition for this week. Yeah. The dramas. So they were in a close battle for most of the game. You know, McCarron didn't look that sharp, but defensively, you know, it, it, it was neck and neck, but they looked like they had the game. They looked like they had it. They looked like they were going to be victorious. However, catch some magic in a bottle. McCarron finally, you know, you know, that experience he has from the National Football League, whether he was a starter or not, doesn't matter. But the fact that he had been around football and in practices and, you know, plenty of different systems, not just sitting at home watching and hoping finally showed up and they strung it right together and they went down and you know not only scored but man they converted on that fourth and 15 opportunity the um for those that may not be familiar yet which is an alternative to an onside kick and who knows what happened it's either the offense you know just had the momentum in their favor maybe the defense was gassed i even heard somebody say that they think that they saw the starter subbed out and all the backups went in. Well, that could be yeah. because if that's the case, that could be because the defense was gassed. You didn't have a choice. You needed to kind of make sure you had some fresh legs out there. And okay, if you get torched, you get torched for the fourth of 15. 
Yeah. It, it is what it is. But the reality is the team we're playing against looks competent this weekend. Yeah, I have one uh, person I'm looking, I'm, I'm watching out for is Village at running back. Uh, from what I've seen with against the C or the St. Louis Battlehawks, he man, there's some big guys running the ball, and I would not want to be defender going again trying to take them out. Uh, it's not from what I know, he's a four year NFL uh, veteran yep. player. Yeah, used to play for the Dolphins. Yep. Yeah, so I'm I'm concerned big time for against him. I think he could have a breakout running game uh, this week. So here's my thing: when I I just remember from the game, particularly that Acres was pretty big for them in the receiving in the passing game. You know, he he had seven receptions. Yeah, I think he had seven of seven. Let me double check here. Yes, seven to seven. Seven targets, seven receptions. Oh, That's a security blanket. But here's the issue. He got dinged up. He got hurt. Mm-hmm. And I've been paying attention all week, and it appears that he's still being listed on the injury report. So we'll have to see if he'll be in the game on Sunday. Now, for all transparency, we are recording here on Thursday. So that we saw Friday, Saturday. He might even travel, and it might be a game-time decision. We'll have to see. There's still some time to be determined here. If he's in the lineup and he's capable, you're right. I think they are a dual threat. I think you got a guy that no matter what, we've seen Tom Brady in the National Football League have Gronkowski for years. There's a reason why he wanted him to come out of retirement to come down to Tampa people. It's a security blanket. There is chemistry. There's something you know your go-to guy when you absolutely need it. If Cohen's security blanket right now is Acres, it's going to depend on whether Acres is playing or not. Yeah, but they did spread the ball. Yeah, and I, if I go back through your one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different receivers with a reception, twenty-five receptions. Acres only had seven of them, but I mean that's key moments when you need it. But yeah. they're going to spread the ball. you got to be prepared. It doesn't matter how many yards they threw for it. It's the fact they were still completing it. So this is a competent team they're playing against. And they just took a stinger at home last minute. So if anybody's going to be prepared, anybody's going to be pumped up, I think they are. Because if I just read news today, they, for whatever reason, one of their five captains, they cut. Mm-hmm. They're making changes. They're moving forward, people. So if you're a captain and whatever happened there, I can't, don't have his name in front of me. It doesn't matter. But people, this team's coming into play. So hopefully Coach Buckley is able to give a coach forward and come up with a competent offensive game plan. But you're right. The defense is going to have to tackle this team. <laughs> yeah, there's no playing around. With this, with uh, the Brahmas, they're going to be angry. They're going to be, they're going to want to be, they're going to be on fire to make something and like prove to Heinz Ward, you know, they can, they can get back on, you know, get on the winning column. So after taking a devastating loss like that, they're going to, they're going for blood, basically, is what I think. So is a divisional game. Yeah. Got to be competent. Now you, you got to be able to, to pull off a win. Falling 0-2 in the division to start the season, that's tough. 
That's going to yep, be tough. Exactly. Yeah. I totally agree with that. It, that. That's what I've been thinking as well. You can't take a loss here. I don't, I, if we take a loss and we're Owen two, I don't think we're coming back the way it could be. So, well, Jared, in my view, the Renegades are the better, the best team in the division. Mm. I know we can say power rankings now after week one, but the Renegades somehow pulled out a victory. This yeah, point. just from their defense alone, basically. Like, there was really not much for offense. Uh, Devian Smith for running was pretty good. But, yeah, that those pick six sixes were crucial to winning that game against the Vegas Vipers. I'm fearful that if this defense can't stop an offense, it doesn't, you know, even a mediocre offense might look fairly good, right? But this offense you know, gave up four sacks. What's going to happen when there's all that pressure on top of them and they can't figure out who's going to be quarterback here. So yeah. I'm hearing that DeAndre Francois is going to be in the mix this time. Not only from the people that I talked to, because I know I said that DeAndre Francois was going to be the starter and a lot of people are like, well, you actually got that wrong. Well, they they had that or there. So Paxton Lynch did play. He didn't even, he wasn't even um, suited up. From what I saw, I tried to find him on the sideline, couldn't even find him. So it looked like he wasn't even active. But according to what Coach Buckley even said, every week he's going to play two quarterbacks. He said that during the broadcast this past weekend, and he said he would be rotating the quarterback twos. So that means that Francois is in the mix for this game by the words of Coach Buckley. Question is, does he stay at quarterback two or is he QB one? So the, they got to figure that out. Is it going to be Lynch and Francois? Again, we don't have the depth chart for this week yet. Yeah, I don't know who's going to be making those decisions for who's starting at QB. I, I'm hoping DeAndre Francois is the is the hope and the that can propel propel the Guardians to a victory. I'm hoping he, he's he's the one we've been waiting for. So, and I, I liked him in uh, with the Glacier Boys and fan control football. I know he has a history with Florida State. I'm hoping that this is his time as uh, a QB in the XFL. Well, we don't know who's who yet, right? It's early, even the key players. And I know we're kind of like going to beat on coach a little bit here. We do have to figure ourselves out. We had to kind of anticipate that Paxton Lynch came into camp very late. Even though he had five weeks, didn't really have an opportunity to build chemistry. So even if Paxton is QB1, it starts again. Hopefully, some of the stuff is getting ironed out. Protection in front of you. The center's got to snap the ball better. That probably is enough just to throw off timing. Because mm-hmm. if it was going well in practice and the center's not quite getting it ready in the game, whether it's game jitters, whatever it might be, that type of stuff's got to be resolved. And hopefully this week, those things were noticed by the coaching staff. I know everyone watches film, so hopefully they really got into the film, saw what those, at least the little things, the things that you should be able to perfect. Those are starting, you know, building blocks. Start from there. So if they did that, hopefully we could see a better product. But you gotta gotta incorporate the run game. Without a little bit of the run game, you're not taking enough off packs. You're not gonna take enough off DeAndre Francois. Heck, if Dormady's in the mix this time, whoever. 
got to just take a little bit off. It's too much out of the gate for everyone to get started. And this defense, they look capable. So they yeah. they just got to do more. Not to beat on that dead horse. So yes. I know the Guardians faithful. There's a lot to be desired with season tickets, with single game tickets. We got a big venue, people. We got to turn out. If guys like myself can drive two and a half hours, heck, if Jared can make the trip and he's a little bit further away than I am from Fort Myers, we need to do our part. This is my soapbox moment, my preaching moment, if you will, to rally the troops. If you have nothing going on, I know it's great to watch the games from television. That's what I did all weekend long. I love the games. But let's get out. Let's show that there is support here. We need to support the league for its viability in the future. We need to support the team so they know they actually have a fan base that they're playing for. They play it on the road. They're living in Arlington, Texas throughout camp and now throughout the season. It's their their hub. Let's do our part to get out and show them who they're playing for. Not an empty stadium. Let's show them that they have a fan base and they have something that can kind of get pumped up for. Yeah, if I was in Orlando, I'd have season tickets immediately. No no questions asked. The price is is so affordable. Um, you know, I paid two, three hundred dollars to go to one NFL game a number of times. So to to be able to get what five season you know home tickets is just too good to be to pass up, in my opinion, on that. So I know there's you know, you guys have the other teams in Orlando. You got the major league soccer team, the Orlando SC, and as well as Orlando Magic. And, but you, if you guys, I know you guys are even next door basically to Camping World Stadium. So if you guys know about the Guardians and you're good with American football, come to the games and support this team and league. Because if, if we lose this league one more time, I don't even know what, what's going to, you know, like how long that it's going to be to get any sort of, you know, alternative after if it, if it goes away cuz it's it's not a guarantee it's going to be around uh 100%. So um you know be hungry for this league and be hungry for this team um cuz there's always that possibility it could be moved as well. So um so I'm I'm just urging everybody to come out and support uh the Orlando Guardians uh this season. All right. Well, thank you Jared. I appreciate you taking the time to come on to this second episode of this new show standing guard podcast thank you oh it's it's a pleasure having you i know we've chatted but i think it's important to get people that are in tuned into what's going on not just from a distance like oh this is gonna be my new team but somebody that's actually followed the league from 2020 myself from 2001 the first iteration ever not that that really makes it me like some royalty or I love 2001 that was that was good stuff I I, when I was a little kid or teenager I thought oh the wrestlers are gonna play football and there's gonna be like body slams and wrestling moves incorporated and I was wrong but um (laughs) it was a good old time I, I remember of course the the run to the football for who gets the football first or something like that so um I've been a fan of, I was a fan of that in 2001 as well. So, yeah. Well, before you go, if you'd like to take a moment and just share some of your social media handles and whatnot, so people that may be interested in connecting with you and checking you out, they can do so. 
Yeah, I w- I'll be um, at the I'll be at this week's uh, game against the Brahmas. Um, I'll be wearing a New York Guardians uh, jersey uh, from 2020. I'll try to wear a New York Guardians hat. Um, you can say hello. Uh, you can check me out Facebook, uh, Jared Michael Hansen. Um, I'm sometimes I'm on the uh, X fan show with uh dirty and a train i've been a fan of their show since they did it in 2020 so i really enjoy watching like a lot of every episode of their show if i can help it i've i've enjoyed them with those fans in st louis so um yep and that's pretty much me I'm, i'll be in uh, i'm in brett's uh group uh the xfl and usfl facebook group so I, I love to talk to brett who owns that uh facebook group as well so um yeah i'll talk i'll talk most most any sports anytime uh and and a lot of the football leagues that the alternative spring leagues as well so yep you can check me out in those places perfect thank you thank you for having me on you're welcome i appreciate jared's willingness to dive into this past weekend and share his thoughts Despite this last weekend's outcome, there were some encouraging takeaways. Hopefully, the Guardians can focus on those areas of weaknesses and build upon their running game to help take the pressure off the passing game. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by the host of Texans Talking Football, Jason Leroy, to discuss the Guardians' Week 2 matchup against the San Antonio Brahmas. Welcome, Jason. I appreciate you taking the time to come on to the show to discuss this weekend's game between the San Antonio Brahmas and the Orlando Guardians. Certainly, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the uh, invitation. Well, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. I'm a firm believer of bringing people together from all different corners of the XFL community. And, uh, you know, I can't do this all on my own because I don't have insight for each of the teams. So seeing that you are in Texas in Brahma's country. This gives us an opportunity to understand what we as Guardian fans will be seeing from the opponent and how our team has also viewed potentially through the eyes of others and not just ourselves. Because sometimes fans could either have the wrong shades on, whether everything's rose color, things are good, or sometimes we are just hating on ourselves, you know. We we're, we can't get out, you know, out of our own way. So this gives yes, us that sir. opportunity. But before we dive into this weekend's matchup, why don't you go ahead and take a moment to share with my listeners, you know, a little bit of your background, so they have a better understanding of why you're here today. Oh, certainly. So I am what you would call a rabid football fan. I live here in Texas, which is, you know, the home of football, if you will. And I happen to live in San Antonio, which everybody seems to forget about. We've had multiple attempts at some type of pro football. We've been used as leverage in the NFL. This town is rabid for football, as am I. We thought for sure that we had something that was going to stick around when we had the commanders in the AAF set all the attendance records, made all the noise, did all the right things, and unfortunately, it's still folded up. So when we found out that we were going to get an XFL team, we got right back on that crazy horse and started riding again. As I'm sure, you know, by now, most everybody knows, you know, we had 24,245 people at the Alamo Dome on Sunday. That's doubled pretty much anybody else's attendance in the league. 
Uh, so that, that shows you that the people here are just rabid for professional football. And, you know, whether it's the XFL or I'm mean, thankfully it's the XFL, but whether it would have been the XFL or USFL or anything like that, any kind of professional football here is just fully embraced by the people. So that's pretty much, you know, my background when it comes to football. I will say as far as, you know, like NFL football, I am kind of one of the outsiders here in San Antonio. I do not root for the Dallas Cowboys. I do not like the Dallas Cowboys. And I always laugh whenever they lose. I myself am a Packers fan. I've been a Packers fan since 83. And so I know what it's like to root for a team that just takes a beating, you know? So we've had some bad years. But yes, so that's my background when it comes to football. You also have a podcast. So why don't you go ahead and share everyone your show? I certainly I certainly have a podcast, and thank you for helping me plug that. So we are starting a new podcast called Texans Talking Football. There's a bunch of podcasts out there, and you know, there's a bunch of different aspects from you know the football fans' point of view. But nobody's really talking about what it's like to be a fan of football in Texas, you know, when you live in Texas, like how important it is, how much a part of your daily life it becomes. So we're going to start focusing on some of that. So we're going to be covering, you know, some of the bigger uh, high school powerhouses, because again, you know, football is king here. Football is everything. You know, the Friday night lights, the movie, that's a real deal. Towns closed down here in Texas for Friday night football. So we're going to incorporate, you know, some of that into our podcast, talking about, again, you know, some of the high school powerhouses, a lot of the college powerhouses and, you know, some of the D2 schools, because, again, these players are the ones that are going to be coming up into the USFL, XFL, you know, potentially Canadian League. Quite a few of them make it into some form of arena ball. And for the very, very select few, some of them even get shots in the NFL. So we want to just kind of talk about all of that, all of how football kind of incorporates in a daily life here. Um, unfortunately, we will have to talk about the Dallas Cowboys and the Houston Texans, but you know, it is what it is. We'll, we'll make do with it. But again, just that whole creation that is football and how important it is here in our daily lives in Texas. That's kind of our thing. Well, perfect. Now we have an understanding of who you are and why you're here. Now let's dive right into this upcoming week, both okay. teams are coming off of a loss. Yes. But they were in completely different fashions. Yes. This past week in the Guardians simply were outclassed and took a beating by losing 33-12, to 12, whereas the Brahmas looked to have things under control until the Battle Hawks pulled off an extremely late comeback to win 18 to 15. Yes, they did. Yeah. So either way, the record is what the record is, but there seem to be two different types of teams here. Seeing you're from Texas and you cover Texas football, including the San Antonio Brahmas, what do you see Coach Ward duplicating and yet changing for the Guardians game? Okay, so... On offense, what I see Coach Ward doing is pretty much following a lot of the game plan of what he did on Sunday, using a lot of run options to create opportunities 
um, for those passes. One thing I did notice is that our offensive line is not nearly as strong as it should be. So Cone was pressured quite a bit and had to make a lot of throws that he did not really need to, to make an attempt for. They just weren't like the greatest throws. Throws that he did make were 100% on the money. He wound up going uh, 25, 36, 207 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Again, that one interception was a forced intercept or it was a forced throw. Um, he threw deep, praying to God that the uh, receivers would break free, and they just did not. They got picked. There's also one receiver, I'm not going to mention him by name, but he went one of four. And one of those drop passes was a crucial pass to the end zone. Had he caught it, we would have gone up two touchdowns. So I see Ward potentially taking that person out of the equation and putting in some of the uh, other receivers that have done a little bit better, maybe possibly using tight ends for screens or, you know, the RPOs, but really getting on that offensive line and, and stressing to them how important it is that they hold the defensive line long enough for the quarterback to be able to take advantage of these pass opportunities that the run game is creating. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, there's a little bit of speculation about what happened there. What we do know is that the last two minutes, defense fell apart. Maybe it could be because they were gassed. I've heard speculation that Ward pulled all the starters and put in the you know second stringers and the backups. Whatever the problem is, that can't happen again. So on defense, I see us using that same strong four-man rush, putting the pressure on the quarterbacks, getting those mistakes and, and potential turnovers, right? Because we didn't really capitalize on any turnovers either. But I see our defense pressing hard and keeping the pressure on steady through the entire four quarters and not, uh, you know, pulling those starters out or, you know, giving up those last two minutes. Like we are, you know, would be need to be focused rather on taking that commanding lead and keeping that commanding lead and, you know, not going soft on defense at all. I look at the game. I didn't pay that close attention to look at the uh, personnel grouping that you mentioned towards the end. So, yeah, it's kind of tough to know whether it was a gas situation or if it was just simply you weren't, you know, lined up with your best players. So, right. It's kind of tough to tell because, I mean, now you got me intrigued that I want to go back and watch the replay on ESPN Plus mm-hmm. to get a better understanding. So, I, you know, I, I did not look that closely, so I can't help answer that for anybody. But, you know, I just glanced at the, uh, the statistics again. You know, mm-hmm. the Brahmas look pretty solid. And we can look at 207 yards and people can, you know, question, well, that's just average. But, you know, you, you look at it. He had a pretty decent completion percentage. Yeah, he had a couple turnovers. He had an interception and a lost fumble. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that's one thing. But the run game mm-hmm. was also pretty solid with 133, you know, rushing yards, including Cohen. You know, scrambling for I believe four yards himself. I don't have that right in front of me, but I took a quick glance while you were talking. It all depends yeah. to me if yeah, uh, one rush, four yards. Yeah, and uh, it depends if Acres is back, right? I, I mean, it, he got dinged up. Don't recall if he came back into the game on Sunday. Is there any any word? Because he had seven receptions. He obviously was very key in the game plan, and I would assume he would still be moving forward as long as he's healthy. Any word if he's uh, going to be available? So 
I have not heard any updates on any injury reports. That's one thing. Information is there, uh, but it seems like you have to do a little bit more work to find it. And so, unfortunately, I have not, just like you said, you know, having to go back and watch the ESPN uh, replay to see if any defensive changes were made. I haven't had the chance to sit down and do any digging as far as injury reports and, and who's going to be reporting in for the game or not. But Akers is going to be key for uh, our receiving game. If he's not there, there's going to be some interesting, you know, absences that we're going to have to figure out how to deal with because you simply just can't replace him. You can't, you know, throw in another piece and be fine, right? Especially with, you know, the limited rosters that we're dealing with with the XFL. You don't have wide receiver pools that are, you know, six, seven deep, and you've got, you know, four incredible receivers and three really good ones, right? You get one or two really good receivers potentially, and, you know, you get maybe three, you know, decent to good. So you kind of have to make do with what you get, right? So, yeah, going back to Akers, he had, looking at his uh, stats, Akers had uh, seven receptions, 35 yards. And, I mean, that's that's pretty good. I mean, that really did help us kind of chip away at St. Louis. I know St. Louis was was plastering receivers pretty closely, but Akers did seem to get away quite a bit. Unfortunately, not enough for two touchdowns or anything, but I mean, he definitely, he definitely did his part. Tolliver had a, had a really great game. Also, uh, Jalen Tolliver, yep. uh, three receptions, 49 yards. But other than that, I mean, you don't really see San Antonio on the board very much as far as receiving yards. We just, we didn't pass the ball very much. We ran it a heck of a lot, right? Most of the, most of the plays, I would say, a larger percentage of the plays were run plays designed to try and weaken that uh, front line to open up our passing plays because our offensive line just was having a very hard time holding St. Louis back. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how they adjust for that Orlando game. You know, do we swap out some personnel, try and find some ways to strengthen that, that offensive line to get uh cone more time to throw? Or do we go back to that, you know, smash mouth run game that, and, and Heinz Ward did kind of say that in several of the uh, team, well, not the team meetings, but the fan meetings that we had here in San Antonio, he did say that, you know, he's a smash mouth football kind of guy. So, you know, maybe that's the game plan again. Maybe we go back to that old school run game and just beat you guys up, you know, whoever we're playing to open up those passing lanes so we can get those, you know, three or four you know, really good bombs downfield and then just light you up on the scoreboard. At this point, because again, we're only one game in and it's hard to kind of track trends at this point. It really is anybody's guess. But if it were me making a guess, I would think that we are in fact, you know, probably stick with that, you know, that run game to soften up defenses and then try and take advantage of passing lane openings from there. You mentioned, and I'm not here to shoot holes in what you said, because that's not usually what I do. You mentioned you didn't pass the ball much. It's hard to believe, but you guys actually attempted 36 passes and had 39 rushes. It was almost 50. Really? Yeah, looking at it, he went 25 for 36, Cone did. Okay. 
you guys rushed for 39. In watching that game, I would have agreed with you until I just was glancing back at the numbers here again. I'm like, oh, that even shocked me, and I didn't want to jump in. I'm like, I had to double check that, you know. I'm like, uh, I'm like, how no, ahead of a disparity? What you know, it was it, but I mean, it's actually just three difference. But going back to okay. Acres, Acres didn't have a whole lot of yards, 35 yards, but those seven receptions were seven receptions on seven targets. It doesn't matter if it's only five yards. That's like a guarantee. When you have a receiver that you can go to and that delivers, it's kind of had that safety blanket, if you will. So it doesn't oh, matter yeah. if the guy is receiving for 100 yards or mm-hmm. going for the two touchdowns you're looking for. It's when you need it the most, you have your security blanket, so so to speak. You know, that's Tom Brady had his Gronkowski. Everyone know that when it came down to it, if he needed something, he's going to ground. Just the reality of it. Oh, yeah. And maybe that's what Acres is going to be for Cole. I know it's early. You know, the, the reality is these teams did not have preseason. So, you know, essentially for game one is preseason, but yet it counts on the books. So now mm-hmm. they kind of got to put on the pads, started tackling. We heard a lot of coaches say that they weren't tackling at practice and stuff. So football just got real, real quick for the XFL teams. So moving forward, they did. It's going to it's going to evolve. And we understand that. But looking at it, the team definitely looked way better. We're on the flip side. I don't know how much of the Guardians and Roughnecks game you watch. How do you view your opponent? What is there anything you're concerned with? I know they only put up 12 points, but is there anything that you saw? Maybe like, well, we kind of, kind of have to watch for that. I have my own take, but I'll, I'll, I'll get yours first. So one thing I'm, I'm definitely going to say. I mean, I did watch the game. I thought Orlando, unfortunately, was just outclassed for the most part by Houston, but I'm looking at the stats and I'm seeing that what's his name? Uh, Jamil with uh, the guardians, three receptions, 80 yards. Yeah. That concerns me. That means you guys have a deep threat that we're going to need to watch, right? That means, you know, a lot of double coverages, a lot of just different defensive schemes that we're going to have to do to make sure that he does not get free and, you know, become an option for your quarterback to throw to. So, and and we haven't been challenged deep yet, really. Everything that McCarron did was all 5, 10, maybe 15 yard throws. And then of course the run game. And it was those last two minutes where we just got lit up. Um, And again, it, it could be personnel. It could be that we were playing prevent. Who knows? But the fact is, is that McCarron saw those openings, lit us up, and your quarterback has that potential to do the same thing. So I would say I'm I'm definitely concerned about what your quarterback can do. Let's look at your quarterback's stats and what he did. Where is he at? 12 18, 142, right? Not necessarily the most numbers on yardage, but look at that completion ratio. 12 of 18? I mean, that means he's pretty accurate. So if he can see the receiver, if he can see that route and he knows that that receiver is going to break loose, we're going to get lit up. So we definitely have a quarterback wide receiver duo that is a potential big threat. You know, again, we haven't really been challenged deep. Most of the uh, stuff that we broke up was mid range routes, maybe 20 yards, 25 yards. And we were able to cover those pretty well, but I don't remember McCarron 
have, you know, <clears throat> pardon me. I don't remember McCarran having anyone go deep that we had to worry about that was going to be a potential threat because, I mean, we had that four-man rush on them the whole time. So this is going to be interesting to see how we actually deal with a uh, pass-heavy offense and how our defense is going to respond to that. What I'm looking here for game two from the Guardians is that looking at the rushing game, there wasn't a whole lot of it Mm -hmm. against the Roughnecks. Well, when they did rush the ball, they rushed it well, which kind of gets me really baffled as to why they didn't run the ball more because they ran it early against the Roughnecks and had success. Jamain Martin had 41 yards on nine carries. That's 4.6 per carry. Mm -hmm. Kevin Taylor, 28 yards and five attempts. It's 5.6. And obviously, Diedrich Thomas had the one carry for nine yards. But I mean, as a team, they averaged 4.9 yards per carry. Why weren't they running it more? I mean, if you had some success with it early to have a little bit of a balance, but when you're throwing the ball 39 times and only rushing it a total of 16, that's not a balance, especially if there was some success with running the ball. It's just got to be enough for play action, whatever you got to do to kind of mix it up. I understand mm-hmm. these offensive lines. It's week one. It's early. And we kind of saw, you know, a lot of offensive lines in the league not looking too well. And maybe there's some concern with that, right? Yes. But as we get a couple games underneath our belt, maybe one, two, that's where we'll be at. Maybe we'll start to see that kind of resolve itself. And if that's the case, you know, if we are going to be a pass-heavy team and there's some protection, well, then maybe that makes a difference. But as a team, the Guardians threw three interceptions. They know that hurts a little bit. You start to fall behind. You start throwing a lot. But if you would just stay to your game plan, they were leading 6-0 at one point, whether it was a touchdown or not, is to be you know, <laughs> baited. But the reality is, I look at it, I think they just need to run the ball a little bit more. It doesn't matter what the other team's doing. I think you just need to have, you know, take a little bit off the load of the quarterbacks. That's just my opinion. And I, I think that could benefit the Guardians. It also depends who's going to play quarterback. Because there are rumors that yes. Paxton Lynch may not start the game. I mean, Dormady, I thought, looked all right. Yes, he had two picks, but he kind of got thrown into a bad situation where it was pass heavy. He didn't have the you know, crutch of the running game to lean on like Paxton actually did earlier in the game. But, you know, mm-hmm. they're also talking about Francois because T-Buck is going to do a two-quarterback thing, and then he's going to rotate who the second quarterback is. Well, the question is, if Paxton Lynch is not starting, are they going to have him as a backup or is it going to be Francois starting, Dormady starting, and then you know the other one coming off the bench? It, again, it just sounds like sometimes when you don't have a quarterback, you have no quarterback. And I don't know if that's going to be the situation here in game two, which has me concerned where you guys know who your number one is. And mm-hmm. that's you can build upon that every week. So that's a little bit of a concern that you guys had a close one. You took a, you know, a stinger at home in front of a great crowd. Like, I'm going to assume you guys are going to be ready to play on Sunday in Camping World Stadium. Yes, sir. The shock has not worn off. Let me put it that way. I was at the game, saw it, was with the rest of the crowd. We were up. You know, everything looked great. We were all in, in, you know, that's our fault for celebrating too early because, you know, a lot of us, Again, because we're you know used to profession or to uh, NFL rules, forgot about one foot in. Maybe the players did too. 
I know all the fans forgot about the fourth and 15 because when they started lining up for it, a lot of the fans were like, Hey, what's going on here? And, you know, I know we had to explain to a lot of people in our section about the fourth and 15 rule. You know, we went soft coverage on that, but I do think that loss is going to hopefully create a hunger in the players that, you know, Hey, you guys were at home and you dropped what looked like a sure win at home to the biggest crowd that the XFL has seen this opening weekend and a little jab at the USFL better than any of the crowds that they've ever seen ever. You lost that game at home. How can you face your fans? Now you're going two games on the road. How are you going to face your fans? If you don't come home with two wins. So I'm hoping that there's going to be a hunger there that the players are going to be, you know, kind of fired up and, you know, pride a little bit hurt and, you know, walking in with something to prove now on the same token, I'm kind of hoping that the same thing happens with Orlando that they lost, you know, their first game on the road. And now they're coming home and saying, look, you know, we got roughed up pretty good against Houston. No pun intended. We can't have that happen in our house. So we need to step up our game and we need to bring our pressure. We need to make sure that, you know, we've got the the good quarterback wide receiver uh, combo working in our favor. And we do that by opening up that running game and letting our running backs, you know, go for four yards per carry, four and a half yards per carry. Right. Because that that's a successful recipe right there. And then on defense, making sure that you're continuing to pressure you know, with, you know, four and five man uh, rushes on our quarterback to keep him from getting set. So he can't make those throws. So it forces us to, you know, try and rely on the running game more, which then messes up our game plan. Because as you said, you know, that pretty much was a 50, 50 split, even though it sure didn't look like it from the game. It looked like we ran every single thing. It did. Um, the number says a different thing, though. It's interesting how sometimes you could watch something and believe it wholeheartedly and then just go look at mm-hmm. some statistics. And you know, we constantly hear these coaches use the term analytics. You know, mm-hmm. Coach Buckley said it a couple of times in, you know, when he was questioned. You know, I love that. They get the mic right in their face and ask them questions. They said analytics, analytics. Well, it's all statistics. That's all they're looking at, right? They're looking at the, mm-hmm. the percentage of what happens, whatever. It doesn't it's a little weird to use that as an excuse in week one, because you have no statistics of your own team doing it. You're just using general statistics, maybe in football, you know, versus you haven't played a game. How do you know what your third down or your fourth down conversion is on, you know, a certain yardage on a certain type of um, play that you, you you like to run against. That was seemed a little odd, but anyway, it's interesting because that's why the numbers matter. You know, and sometimes we get look into it. It does tell us a different story and maybe teams do look at things a little bit different than us fans. Cause you know, our eyes can deceive us. I, clearly they just deceive both of us. Cause I'm like, I had to look back. I'm like, Hey, how big of a, a difference was that? And I'll also I look at like, really? It's only three. I mean, that just shocked me. And that's why I had yep. to share it because I'm like, you obviously probably didn't see it either. So I'm like, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so my next question is, Clearly, you guys had a good crowd, right? And I had seen some Battlehawk fans make the trip. I know a couple of hosts there of the 
X-Fan show, made the trip down. I guess there was a talk of a bus coming from St. Louis down. I don't know how many people actually made the road trip. Do you have any idea? Did you see a lot of blue? Honestly, I did not. The best I could do is speculate based on one section of, of fans that I saw. And I would say, I mean, definitely um, the host of the X-Fan show came down. Uh, well, actually, both host. Well, all three hosts did, really. So one of them is in Houston, yep, and Arlington. he, yes, Arlington made it over. And then Amanda, uh, she came down from St. Louis with Dirty. And then, so while we were tailgating, we definitely hold the championship belt for that. I, I will say that nobody beats us at tailgating. Um, <laughs> but. While we were tailgating, there were some St. Louis fans that that parked in our section and, you know, we greeted them, you know, with kindness and, and food and, you know, libations and, and, you know, whatever else you could think of. But I mean, walking around in the parking lot when the game started, I would say you're looking at maybe about 100 people and there definitely was not a bus. I know there was talk about it, but according to. The information I found on the Battlehawks fan page, they couldn't get enough people to commit to actually doing the bus. So they decided to cancel the bus and everybody just kind of went on their own. And gotcha. quite a few people actually flew in. They flew in the night before and there were actually some pictures. I can't remember what the, the player's name was. One of the, the players was down on the San Antonio Riverwalk. And so a bunch of the Battlehawks fans took pictures with them, which is good. I mean, that good that they showed their support for their team but there really wasn't like this you know sea of blue like they were talking about it it just never panned out so of the 24,000 plus they maybe had 100 in attendance so you know the only reason why i ask is because despite losing i saw some pictures some images of people still lining up Brahma fans lining up at the t for merch after they lost, right? The game's over. They're still lining up to get their merchandise. And mm -hmm. knowing, knowing that some people made the road trip from St. Louis down to San Antonio, it just has me looking at a 24,000 crowd, seeing that people are still lining up, that they're committed despite a loss or not to buy the merch have you heard of anybody that's willing to make the trip to Orlando? I mean, there is kind of a Mickey Mouse and whatnot here. So is there anybody <laughs> looking to kind of, you know, bring their family and get some cheap tickets? So, and... yeah, you may have a couple. I wouldn't say, I mean, we're, you're probably going to get about the same numbers. But what I will say is that you guys have some Brahmas fans in your your city, in your ranks. And I'm not going to rat them out because I, you know, the whole witness protection thing, if you will. I'm kidding, of course. But um, you do have some some Brahmas fans in there. And I was really surprised as our fan base was growing and as we all started interacting on on Facebook and, you know, forming these these groups and, and connecting with people, kind of just how far the fan base actually stretches. So, again, we've got fans over in Orlando. We had a fan come down from Alaska. To come to our game now he he's got some connections here to san antonio so that's why you know he chose the brahmas as his home team but i mean our fan base is pretty wide so you're gonna see some of us there 
unfortunately you won't see me because I mean, that's just too short a notice for me to, to run on over there. But like when it comes to the Arlington games or when it comes to the Houston games, we're going to flood those cities and we're going to take them over. So you guys are safe just because of your distance and, you know, kind of poor planning on our part, if you will. <laughs> uh, but the rest of the league, yeah, they're, they're definitely going to be seeing us. I mean, there's already talk of people, uh, you know, going to the Vegas game and, uh, I mean, Seattle's probably safe too. I, I really don't think we're going to travel to Seattle. And I don't even remember if we play Seattle at home or if, if, you know, we play them in Seattle, but some of those farther stretching cities are going to be, you know, safe from our fan base. But I mean, if you're in the state of Texas, look out because there is going to be caravans of us coming. Well, it's a good idea just to get an idea of what you might see, what you might interact with. Not that I'm anticipating bad interactions, but it's just a good idea to know what fan bases are going to be traveling in packs and which ones may not be. It is a young league, but at the same time, it's a good thing to see, Mm -hmm. but it's all about trying to create that home field advantage. So we'll, we'll have to see how many of you turn out. And this, I would say to the Orlando fan base, make sure you guys show up, make sure you come out in full force and support your team, make noise, be crazy, let your team know that you're there for them and you're rooting them on in, you know, what could be a major milestone event in their career trying to get to the next level, right? So come on out, support your team, get crazy, buy the merch, be the the super fan. Um, I say this from personal experience myself, but just get involved, like make connections with your friends, tailgate, have fun, you know, meet new people at, at the, at the games and just dump all of that passion and support for the team out on the field. Come game day. Let them know that you're there. I love it. It's the only way this league is going to work. You know, it's got to yes. build on something. Hey, we can watch games on TV. And I know a lot of people love to do that, but. You know, this being an Orlando podcast, a Guardians podcast here, this is very important to get people out. I know ticket sales haven't looked great. It's not too late to go over to XFL.com backslash tickets to get tickets. And it doesn't matter if somebody San Antonio's tuning in. There's plenty of empty seats out there, people. Keep buying them. You know, you could draw 24,000. Why not get to 26, 28, crack 30? But, you know, at Orlando, let's do our part. Let's turn out because a lot of teams couldn't crack the 13,000 mark. So that benchmark, as far as the league looks, it's kind of low, but, you know, let's do our part. Let's try to turn out and show that, you know, we might have struggled with tickets early on, but we had an extra week to get ours for our home opener. So let's let's do a little bit better. Well, Jason, I appreciate you taking the time to come on to the show and just share your thoughts with us about Mm -hmm. the Brahmas. And, you know, it's just always good to get some different insight. You know, it's one thing if somebody watched the game, but, you know, heck, even talking about it, we both looked at numbers that we didn't realize. So <laughs> it's always mm-hmm. good just to kind of chat about things. Maybe I'll reach out again because, you know, this is a, a divisional game. So there's going to be a, a different swing when we our team plays in Texas. I guess we live in Texas, you know, our teams do. But, <laughs> you know, when yeah people get some uh, Orlando people to fly out and support in San Antonio, that'd be great. I will say this. When Orlando plays in San Antonio, you guys come on down. Find us out in the Alamo Dome parking lot. Stop by. Have a burger. Have a taco. Have a beer with us. We're we're pretty loud and we're pretty crazy when when it comes to game time. 
but we're, I mean, you can ask uh, some of the people from St. Louis. We try and be some of the most friendly, hospitable people when it comes to tailgating. Everybody's welcome at any of our tailgating spots. You can walk up to pretty much any spot. And if they have something extra to give, they'll give it to you freely. No questions asked, no charge. You're welcome to everything. So guys, make your way over to San Antonio. Come check out our lovely river walk. Come visit the Alamo and find out whether there's actually a basement or not. Just come on down, have fun, come tailgate with us. And uh, don't be too upset if we beat your team up and we send you home with a loss. But it could go the other way too, right? In either way, just come on down and have a good time with us. So no, it, it now be the let's, first time. let's go to the plug. Yeah, <laughs> let's go to the plug. So again, my show is going to be called Texans Talking Football. Our podcast should be starting on what is today we're starting ours on uh february 21st tonight at 6 30 central and again we're just going to talk about all things football in texas so again that's uh texans talking football you can find us on facebook you can find us on youtube you can find me on twitter my handle is at saj underscore ttf and uh, you'll always find me every now and then on the X Fans podcast, where I'm giving Dirty and Arlington a hard time about how the Battle Chickens are not better than the Brahmas. And uh, just you can find me anywhere on Facebook, just talking mad trash and having a good old time. Perfect. Thank you, Jason. Awesome. Thank you, man. Good luck, Guardians. Yeah. Good luck to you guys as well. We were fortunate to have Jason join us on such a short notice. It is always good to get insight from fans of the opposition. If you are interested in more XFL coverage, it doesn't hurt to follow folks like Jason and last week's guest, Kellen Watkins, to keep up to date on divisional opponents and others. A final reminder, if you haven't already secured tickets for this weekend's home opener against the San Antonio Brahmas, it is not too late to do so. Visit XFL.com backslash tickets to select your tickets. Heck, we may even bump into one another at Camping World Stadium. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Do not forget to subscribe and rate Standing Guard on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Standing underscore Guard or Standing Guard Pod. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show message, the show via social media, or send an email to Podcast at gmail.com? 